reading from the prophet Isaiah. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed us with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until her vindication shines out like the dawn, and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication, and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. The word of the Lord. A reading from Galatians. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be, review, would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian, for in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. My point is this, heirs, as long as they are minors, are no better than slaves, though they are the owners of the property. But they remain under guardians and trustees until the date set by the father. So thus. While we were minors, we were enslaved to the elemental spirits of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father so that you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. The word of the Lord. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light 
that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is the Father's, who is at the Father's side. He was made, and he has made him known. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let there be light. I want us to take just a few seconds to reflect on those words. You can close your eyes if you need to, just, but let's just take a few seconds. Let there be light. Now I want us to hold on to those words as we focus on today's gospel reading in John 1. With the way John begins his gospel, it seems pretty clear that he's pointing us to the Genesis account of creation. But we also see that he identifies Christ at the beginning of creation. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he goes on to say that all things were made through him. And then... He says in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Friends, this is why Christmas is so profound, right? The creator of the universe and humanity takes on flesh and becomes a human like us for our redemption. As I was preparing for this homily, I couldn't help but be drawn to John's language of light. In verses 4 and 5, he says, In him, Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And as I reflected on these verses, I thought about the significance of light in the Genesis account of creation and what John is saying in this text. I thought about what it must have been like on earth for God to say, Let there be light. For God to set the sun in place so that the earth would no longer be clouded and permanent, 
and literal darkness. And then it occurred to me that in the incarnation, God commanded, let there be light yet again. He sent his beloved son so that the world might not be clouded with darkness, but darkness in a different sense, right? So my hope for this morning is that we might be encouraged that the life and the light that Jesus offers us this morning can overcome the darknesses that we face, whether it be spiritual or even mental and emotional. So with this being said, I want to invite us to turn to verses 4 and 5 in John chapter 1 and see how these verses might speak to us this Christmas tide and even as we move into Epiphany. So in the first part of verse 4, again, John says, in him was life. So what does John mean by life here? What is, what is its significance? Well, on one level, we can certainly say that Jesus is the source of our life. As John says in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So for starters, we really can say that we owe our lives to the life giver. We credit Jesus and the Father and the Spirit for our very livelihood. Your genetic makeup, this world you inhabit, the very breath you just took, all goes back to Jesus. I would say that's one aspect of the life Jesus offers us. But I think there is, of course, a deeper reality to be known to us. So if we go one level deeper, there is a salvific aspect to what John is saying here. I think about how Scripture says there is life in the blood, and that Jesus took on flesh, he died on a cross, and shed his blood, and rose again, so that Satan and death would no longer be able to hold our sins up in our face, but that the blood of Jesus would speak a better word, so that the life in his blood would always be available to cleanse us from our sins. And it's by placing our faith in Jesus and what he's done, we are brought back into union with God, a restored relationship, which, which leads to a deeper level of life that Jesus offers us. I think about um, how many of us have said, ah, oh, this is the life. All kinds of experiences can lead to those words coming out of our mouths. And for example, a fall night, sitting around a campfire, making s'mores and sharing laughs with your family, or sitting on a beach in a comfy chair, watching and listening to the waves draw in with an ice cold drink in one hand and a big uh, systematic theology book in the other. <laughs> I'm just kidding, maybe something more normal than that. Um, or maybe a summer night at a baseball park with a friend and not a care in the world. You get what I'm saying. Moments when everything feels at peace, when everything feels right. I do think there's something special and maybe even sacred about those kinds of moments. But the truth is they're not experiences of life in the fullest sense. If we're being honest, after the fact, we always feel like there's something missing, right? And then we go back to the daily grind. I'm reminded of what C.S. Lewis once wrote, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, 
The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Friends, the world we experience now is not the kind of world we were meant to inhabit. We're not, to, we're not meant to live in a world that's tainted by evil and suffering and decay, right? But of course, the comforting news is that the life Jesus offers leads to a redeemed world that is filled with the glory of God, a world where we truly flourish in joy and peace, a world where this kind of life is eternal. You know, the prophets of old in the scriptures attest to the fact that the word of God is eternal and that obedience to the word of God and the law leads to eternal life. But of course, we know that if left to our own devices, we can never hold up to that. But we can be assured that our hope rests in Jesus. He perfectly fulfilled the law. He perfectly obeyed the word of God. John even reminds us that he is the word. And as John says in verses 14 through 16, he's full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Friends, our hope is that by being yoked to Jesus, we may enjoy not just a taste of true life in this world now, but a taste of the hev- or, but we may enjoy the heavenly banquet to come for eternity. Amen? So now let's look at the other part of verse 4. And the life was the light of all people. What does light mean? What does it mean for Jesus to have within him the light for all people? A couple months ago, I was driving home one morning on Jessamine Station Road, and I was on that straightaway stretch after you go past the train track. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but there's just, I don't know if it's just me, but there's something about that part of the road that just opens up, and there's some of the most beautiful views on that part of the road. And as I was driving, the sun was rising, and all the beautiful colors were in the sky, and I was just awestruck by creation. And at that time, I knew I was going to be preaching on this text, and so my thoughts were moving to Jesus and just how beautiful he is and how his beauty and his light seems to never cease, how his grace and truth seems to spread all across the world. And as I reflected on these things later on, I thought about the story of the wise men going to see Jesus, how they followed that bright, shining star all the way to the birthplace of Jesus so that they could behold the light of the world himself. This light is for all of humanity. It shines over all nations, all people, men, women, and children. And this light is meant to illuminate our darkness and to draw us into the fullness of his grace and his truth. John says in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness. Grammatically speaking, I found it interesting that John suddenly switches to uh, the present tense in his verbiage. He doesn't say that the light shone, but that the light shines in the darkness. It's almost as if John is assuring we who are reading his gospel now that the light is shining in our very present darkness. Whatever that darkness may look like for each of us, whether it be depression, anxiety, 
family issues, marriage issues, work issues, illness, doubts in faith, a struggle with a besetting sin, and so on the list can go. And he goes on to say, and the darkness has not overcome it. Some translations render that word overcome as extinguish, and I'm really drawn to that rendering. If we think back again to the story of the wise men, King Herod saw the baby Jesus as a threat, and he tried to kill him by ordering all the young boys in Bethlehem, two years old and younger, to be killed, but to no avail. The Romans and the Jews tried to kill Jesus on a cross, but to no avail, he rose from the dead. Many have tried to extinguish the light of the world, but they have all failed. Darkness and evil simply cannot overcome light, right? The light always overcomes darkness. I remember not too long ago, my daughter Abby called out to me in the middle of the night and I came into the room and she told me uh, that the dark was scaring her and that all the objects in her room looked like monsters. And so I went and found a, a little wall plug in with a light and plugged it in and suddenly she could see things for what they truly were and the dark was no longer a threat to her. And I think there's something about light that makes us feel better, right? Safer. It's almost as if there's something sacramental about light. I feel compelled to say, I know some of you are probably facing darkness and might even be scared or exhausted. And I want to encourage you to call out to the Father. Ask him to bring light into the darkness you're facing. You know what the light of Christ looks like. You've seen it before. But sometimes we find ourselves in new territories of darkness, and sometimes darkness clouds over us when we least expect it. But ask the Father to bring the light. I know it's easier said than done. I know sometimes it's hard to get past the fear, the fear of the darkness itself, but also the fear that God might remain silent. I'm preaching to myself here, by the way. But I think maybe these are the times when we're called to lean into a childlike faith with a trust that the light of Christ will come and a trust that whether or not we can immediately recognize it, God really is here with us. He's with us in the dark night of the soul and he's with us in the valley of the shadow of death. Friends, God has shown his goodwill towards us. He has come in flesh. He has made himself tangibly known through our Lord Jesus. For some of us, this Christmas tide has been filled with joy and cheer, and really thanks be to God for that. But I think for others of us, this season maybe hasn't been the easiest. And there's many things you're facing to which I wouldn't have a great answer. But I do want to encourage you to look to the light of the world, follow him. If everything points to him, creation, the prophets, the scriptures, the witness and faith of the saints throughout the ages, the very image bearers to your left and to your right, then I suppose there is no greater answer and hope to our darknesses than Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Emmanuel, God with us.
I want to close this homily with one of uh, my favorite poems. This is by Malcolm Guy, and it's titled, Everything Holds Together. Everything holds together, everything, from stars that pierce the dark like living sparks, to secret seeds that open every spring, from spanning galaxies to spinning quarks, everything holds together and coheres, unfolding from the center whence it came, and now that hidden heart of things appears, the firstborn of creation takes a name. And shall I see the one through whom I am? Shall I behold the one for whom I'm made? The light and light, the flame within the flame, icon to Theo, image of my God. He comes, a little child, to bless my sight, that I might come to him for life and light. <laughs>